This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I didn't think we'd be traveling this late in the year. But we, you and I have been sitting here planning lots of trips because winter is coming. That is not a Game of Thrones reference. That is a Park City reality. Winter is coming. It is getting cold. Snow is on the way, which means you may have to travel for fun cars, but we're fine with it. And I'm going to start right here. We have a upcoming trip to Los Angeles. And if you are around on Wednesday, November the 15th, we are going to do a pretty informal but a dinner meetup with those of you in the Los Angeles area that can come. That is, again, Wednesday, November 15th, 6.30 p.m. at the Yard House in downtown L.A. That's at the L.A. Live Olympic Boulevard location there. Mm -hmm. So Mm. please do us a favor. Send us an email that you'd like to come. I've seen mentions on Discord. I've seen stuff everywhere else. Everyday Driver TV at Gmail and just say, hey, I want to come or I plan to come. Just because that'll be the easiest way for us to compile one little email list and send to all of you any updates that happen. And also we'll be able to just run a tally, walk in the door and go, there's six of us. Or I don't even know how many there'll be. Yep. But please come. We'd love to see you. Many of you have already sent us emails and messages already. That's awesome. November 15th, 2023. And also, Vredestein has sent you, Todd, the yes. new Quattrack Pro all-weather, the high-performance tires to go on your Cayenne because mm-hmm. you've got a Cayenne update coming. I do. In fact, it's coming in a little over a week or so. I actually just got a mounted this morning. This was kind of exciting because my wife has these Monster 21s on mm-hmm. this 2017 Cayenne, and you've already seen me at, <laughs> do a video discussing being on the side of the road where, where those very expensive tires met a pothole uh, last winter, and it was mm-hmm. all bad. Yeah. And I was dreading the winter changeover, and then Vredestein, so you know these Quattrack Pros are all weather, meaning... This is a designation here, folks. All season does not work in the snow. All weather does because it's got the triple peak snowflake designation, which means they are actual winter rated. And I was like, there's an opportunity here to have one tire to rule them all. Just one (laughs) tire on my wife's Cayenne that I don't have to worry about. Also, for this time of year, when it's 25 degrees in the morning, but it's 60 in the afternoon. So it's the perfect tire for her for this. I had to explain the whole all-weather thing to her because I've got her condition now, the trade-outs. And this was just like one tire and we're good. I went to a new tire place here locally that all they do is tire swaps. It was the greatest thing ever. I was in and out in under 30 minutes. It was awesome. They swapped out the tires. So I've got the new Quattrack Pros on there. I'm very excited to talk about them and the, the the car in general. We've had it almost nine months now. Actually, six, six eight months now because we got it in, in March. I can't believe that. So we're going to have our, our first update since buying it. There's a lot to say, so that's coming soon. They're still UHP, considered ultra-high-performance yeah, tires. it's pretty cool. Year-round, and they're also not just good for winter, but for two or three weeks of winter. Many of you just have two or three weeks of wintry conditions, maybe 30 degrees. So yeah, you yeah. get that, that wide range during the day. Also, 850 is coming soon. This is episode 847. That is the All Questions podcast. That will be a live stream on our Test Drive channel. November 17th, 2023, we will continually update you the closer we get for the exact timing there. We're uh, coming back from the uh, LA Auto Show and Toyota event, so we're excited to attend that as well. Yeah, that'll be very cool. That podcast, again, will be a live stream on the Test Drive Videos channel, and it will be all questions, no cars. Those get nuts. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. 
Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you're cleaning your car after a summer of hard driving, be sure to wash in a cool, shady spot and use Griot's Garage Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer with Snow Foam. You can also connect the Boss Foam Cannon to your pressure washer and use foaming surface wash and polygloss. Griot's has also just introduced the cordless foaming sprayer. You can create a high foam blizzard with little to no work and avoid wash-induced scratches, which is the safest way to wash your ride. Now, if you need to get bugs off the front of your car, try the bug and smudge remover right before you wash. Or if you've been tracking your car, track spray removes rubber streaks that always happen. The rubber smears and tire chunks come off really easy as soon as you use the track spray. Griot's offers wash and detail kits, which make it easy to get the right products together. Whether you just are doing a starter kit, it's your first time using Griot's, or you're breaking out a foam cannon and you're adding to your collection, Griot's has the right kit for you. Griot's garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquids are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, please note there's a new code. Use DRIVER10 for 10% off everything on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Our Topic Tuesday comes to us from Rob G., writing to us recently about enthusiast perspective of the benefits, ICE cars versus EVs. Mm. Rob is thinking about the inevitable advantages of electric power cars if battery technology develops the way we're all expecting it to. Meaning more range, lighter less weight. weight. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good if we can get there. We'll, we'll see what actually happens. All right. He asks if the future market for ICE cars could resemble that of mechanical watches. And Rob, you've got my attention. Todd is drooling already. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at my phone, Rob. That's what you can see. Anyway, yeah. Rob writes, displaced by electric ones, which are superior in almost every way, he says, will internal combustion engine cars appeal to collectors and enthusiasts? And will the market for those cars begin to focus on that type of driver? While the market for watches is dominated by quartz and smart watches, mm. there is a vibrant but much smaller market for the old school mechanical technology that includes very valuable watches that sell for many times the most expensive electric ones. Sure. From an enthusiast perspective, Rob says there are other possible benefits. No longer will enthusiasts be concerned with the fact that manufacturers are only focused on SUVs and people movers. Ice cars could become the domain of the enthusiast with those cars focused on the enthusiast market. Those uninterested can buy electric cars, just like he says Todd wears an Apple Watch, but I you don't. don't even wear a watch. I don't even wear a watch. I have a phone that tells me the time. I have a computer screen that tells me the time. If I need the time, there are plenty of ways to find it. Yes. Does the Apple Watch even interest you at all? Or is, is it just really. watches and something on your wrist just, in general? At this point, I, since I don't need a watch on my wrist, I don't even need the Apple Watch. I just I don't need care. it. I, I use it don't, constantly. Don't care, yeah. Apparently, people with proclivities like me, a taste for mechanical complexity, even if it's inferior as a technology, will still be attracted to very specific internal combustion-powered cars. Of course, they will be powered by green fuel, so no guilt for those who love them, Rob says. <laughs> okay. What other advantages for the enthusiast might come about from a market for ice-powered cars that resemble that of mechanical watches today? What a question. We brushed up against this before and talked about cars as horses. Mm -hmm. yep. We've mentioned many times the people that are into horses. Mm -hmm. It is a large industry. 
Yeah. But in comparison to many things, it's still pretty niche. The other reason that I keep comparing it to horses is the fact that horses used to be commonplace. This was the primary mode of transit. Mm -hmm. Now you only have one if you really like horses. There's, there's nobody <laughs> yeah, out there that true. owns a horse accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I just, I ended up with a horse. That doesn't happen. Because if you ended That's up true. with a horse, like somebody gave you one or whatever, you probably sold it. Nobody has horses by accident. I think possibly car ownership at a larger degree, but these current cars that we're loving are going to survive, but I do think it's going to become more and more niche. And I, I like Rob's perspective here because you have to understand, we know Rob and he has a collection of cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he also accidentally has a collection of horses because his wife runs a horse rescue. So there's a whole separate thing going on here. I'm connecting <laughs> all the pieces at once. But the reality is he's right. The watch is an interesting comparison piece because everybody wants to have the time. They want to know the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everybody's going to want to have transit somewhere in the future. Let's jump 10, 15 years. Everybody still needs to get places. Of course. Yeah. So our internal combustion car is now something that you'd only do if you have money. There's been side commentary mm. also where our button's going to be a thing that's only in high-end cars because screens yeah. are cheaper to make. I feel like this is also related to that. Are we going to have analog feeling cars with buttons on the interior that are only for those people that are kind of collectors or really obsessed with cars? I think that's very possible. I mean, right now, most EVs are pretty expensive and they are associated with people who can't afford them. There are very few EVs that cost 30 grand or under or even 35, 40 grand or under. Most of the ones that we see from Cybertruck to Rivians, all the Model S's, yeah, yeah, yeah. most of the Volvo ones, they're really expensive. It's 60 and up. To get down to 30 and below, you're buying something used. And then you're buying old tech, and that tech's moving so fast, that means it is, it's practically whistling, it's dropping so quickly. So you're saying maybe EVs swap with ice-powered cars because EVs ultimately get pretty cheap? I mean, we've already established that they're kind of going to be disposable because of the, so. the screens. Yes. It's, they're laptops on wheels. Mm -hmm. Are they mm -hmm. not? And I, you have a laptop yeah. for five years and you move on to the latest tech mm -hmm. and the old one just goes in the junk drawer or the junk shelf. When the iPhone first came out, it was, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was like three or $400 and we all went, it's how much? And now they're all a thousand. They're 1500 for a terabyte. They're freaking and we're, expensive. And we're all conditioned even if you don't do it, you're conditioned to that little prickle in the back of your head when they introduce the new one. You kind of go, do I need to upgrade my, my phone? $1,000 again this year. We all have that, yeah. that inexplicable tug <laughs> that we've been conditioned to because the tech is moving. Now, now it's moving incrementally. Do you know anybody that has an original iPhone? that they use. I don't mean has in a drawer, goes, hey, look at how small I mean, these I do. Be. Mine's in my drawer. But I'm it's saying in a box, uses in a it as an actual thing regularly. I no. can't think of anybody I know. Do any of you listening know anybody as your daily phone using the it's old iPhone? It's 20 years obsolete. Because early on in the tech, it was moving so quickly. Yeah. Let me jump. 25, 30 years in the future, do I think there will be revolutionary changes happening to EVs? Probably not. They'll be where phones are now. They'll be at incremental changes that because of the new tech, you kind of want that new EV, but my current one is fine. The problem is a five-year-old EV now, you wonder why it's so old. You wonder why the range isn't better. You wonder why the, <laughs> the tech looks like Atari. That's like five years back. We're at that exponential improvement stage early on in the tech that is changing a lot. If that settles out, and the big thing that Rob brought up here, if we really do have batteries that have 
a lot of range without a ton of weight penalty, and they don't cost the moon. If that really does get solved, this will be a watershed moment. I don't know if it's how soon it's going to get solved. But if that gets solved, that will be a total change in what these cost. But right now, they're so expensive because of the materials and the tech and the cutting edge. The Prius was not a cheap car when it was first introduced. No. There were no. cheaper Toyotas out there. It was like mid-grade, kind of like it is now. It was like the $30,000 equivalent, okay? And everything except the hybrid system was low rent. Rob, I have four points to address this, and I primarily agree with you. I do hope the cost of EVs does come down. But to start out with, many people buy watches with automatic movements and manual winding mechanical calibers as investment pieces. Mm. We're talking about auctions, and we're seeing cars as investment pieces. We're seeing the ultra-low miles Honda S2000 that is a hundred grand, and we're mm. weeping mm. because the car never got driven. Then there's the yeah. ones that are bashed and modified beyond recognition and those aren't worth that much anyway either but the vintage watch market continues to be a place of high interest for many people mm. according to statista.com the rolex brand generated over 9.7 billion dollars of sales in 2022 which means it's making well over a million watches a year mm. and the demand is insatiable it has pushed rolex prices up almost double for some models on the used market, even slightly used. Wow. Even if they're still kind of new, you're not buying from a Rolex authorized dealer, you're buying used from many other uh, watch websites. But quoting from an article there written by Tugba Sebanoglu, on September 29th, 2023, luxury watches are a combination of precision, quality, luxury, design, perfect workmanship and tradition bound together with specialist technology. And they are still lucrative to make and sell. Amazing. So number one, I think because ice-powered cars are synonymous with being a living, breathing thing, they will still hold a lot of appeal. Mm -hmm. We recently drove a dark horse Mustang and it has twin nostrils sucking air into twin throttle bodies. You can see it under the hood. Mm -hmm. The hoses go right into the two air filters, <laughs> which go right into the throttle bodies. Yep. And then the exhaust is something we can all hear from a couple of mountain peaks away. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Sound is a huge part of that sports car ownership experience. I mean, you can rev with your key fob on your automatic Mustang now. <laughs> I always wanted that. No, I didn't. No. That sells cars. Mm -hmm. Goofy or not, it sells. So that means auctions of special cars like this will continue to grow. Track driving interest will continue to expand and grow. Number two, Rob, cars are a very personal item. Mm. Our experience in our car, Todd and his Lotus Elise, me and my Porsche Cayman, it's something very special to us. Mm. But of course, we might want somebody else to drive our car. We want to share that experience with, with the thing that we love. You have got to experience the thing. Oh, you like cars too? Oh, you like driving? You've got to experience this. Mm. That's what we try to get across in our videos. We're experiencing blank. It sucks. Or this is amazing. You've got to own this car or you've got to drive this car because of the experience that we're having. Mm. And we want to share it with others. Sharing is caring, right? We want to get it out there. <laughs> Spread the disease to everyone yes. you know. Yes. That's why websites have popped up like Turo. Yeah. Their owner, their privately owned cars that yeah. want to share that car. Many times it's because they want to get the money out of your wallet. Mm -hmm. Share your money with us. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, some people 
yes, we, I'd love to have you drive my car. I want you to get an experience in that. And we have experienced that in many of our own meetups mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. key swaps. Yeah, you're right. People have said, I have this car. You know what? I want to try that car over there. Hey, could we swap keys? Of course, it's mm-hmm. all voluntary. Yep. yep. It's up to individual owners. Some people don't have, feel comfortable, but the ones who have the comfort level, they want to sh- swap cars and share their yeah, cars yeah. and share that emotional experience. Number three, Rob, is control. We humans love to control things. Mm-hmm. High performance driving of any kind is about personal control, especially at a high level. And the joys that we humans experience when we control something and extract the maximum performance out of it is very satisfying. That <laughs> yes. won't go away. So yeah, the control good. from some track day, some canyon driving experience that's why autonomy is looked at so heavily and still explored so heavily even now. Well, and looked at synonymously with EVs. Very even true. Even four or five Very years true. ago when everybody was talking about autonomous vehicles, you were hearing almost nothing about the aut- autonomous car we're making that burns gasoline. That's it's true. Just, it's viewed as, as the same thing. The tech it's, could be applied to any gas-powered car too. Absolutely, but it's viewed as totally symbiotic. Like, no, no, yeah. no, it's going to be an EV that's autonomous, which comes back to the fact that you've got a lot of people that are going to use their cars as appliances, EV, as easy as possible. I mean, think, think about all the other things that EVs are worried about. Uh, it closes the door for me. It might drive for me. Yeah. I mean, this is someone that does not want to be bothered or involved in the world of driving, which is exactly to what you're saying. This ties into my fourth point here, and that is status symbols. Mm. Even something that mm. projects a status as you, your status as a racer or a hardcore enthusiast driver, even if you've got your Miata and you've got the right parts on it, it wasn't super expensive, but that projects a certain status. Mm. This is my status in life as an enthusiast of track driving, of sure, hardcore sure. performance driving. When we, whenever we say status symbol, that always implies really expensive, super high end, but not here. Your status and what you want to project to the rest of the world could be mid-level. I want, I'm a Mustang owner. I'm a Porsche 911 or Cayman owner. I'm not into Ferraris. I can't afford a McLaren. Those way out there. The status symbol many times isn't necessarily the enthusiast. It's just for the reason people buy watches just to flash them. But watches are a very personal item. Mm -hmm. They are only for you on your wrist. Unfortunately, some people make it for Instagram and for the rest of the world on your (laughs) wrist. But I've always felt watches are the one thing that is just for you. Mm. It's just for you to enjoy. If other people notice, that's great. And in this future age of cars that you're describing, that car is going to be just for you. If other people notice, great. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But you're not buying that for other people to flash about. Mm. You're buying it because you are a track driver. You are a racer. You are into enthusiast driving, hardcore driving. You bought that specific car. I mean, the Swiss watch industry was freaked when Mm -hmm. all these smart watches came out. Yeah, yeah. The the industry took a nosedive. Mechanical watches were going to be a thing of the past. Not true. Mm. It is a huge Mm. Hardcore market is highly sought after. The second place behind Rolex was, I think, Cartier Group. They earn billions too, just on watches. Then sales of new watches. That has nothing to do with the used market, vintage watches. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see this perpetuate and continue. And therefore, it will be lucrative for car companies to build a good range. That's what I'm fascinated to see if it occurs. Because you brought it up forever that, okay, let's have all the car makers make their 
possibly autonomous, but definitely electric pod. And then over here is a internal combustion engine fun car. And can they sell both? And will they even offer both? I do hope things like the watch world guides automakers to make them think there are both markets. But the problem yeah, is, as you yeah. go niche, especially if something as expensive as a car, they're going to get more and more expensive. It's the volume products where the price comes down. If you're selling a niche car, it's hard to bring the price down. But I, I do hope that it's not just, and, and you're bringing it up with watches, it's not just the fact that the vintage stuff sticks around, which I believe it will, but I do hope that there's consistently new stuff that the enthusiasts are like, no, 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 that one's for us. While you're over there making pods, this Seriously. one is for us. I mean, Audi has proclaimed they're going to go all EV in the future. Volkswagen definitely wants to do the same thing. But a sub-brand underneath a corporate parent group could be the mm -hmm. ICE cars that are more focused on the hardcore driving. Whereas EVs, what if they remain heavy for a while? What if they can't be enthusiast yeah. cars? yeah. And so a sub-brand, another brand as part of the overarching parent company, they are the ones that offer the mechanical watch, the mm -hmm. self-winding watch, but that is the, it's still very expensive or highly sought after and, and has a huge following. Doesn't mean just because it isn't an EV doesn't mean it's not paid attention to, not at all. Quite the contrary. I'm thinking of the brand close to my heart and that is Lotus, who currently is offering the Amira that is getting a lot of praise, including from us. Mm-hmm. But they're also now selling the Electra, which is their electric SUV. And the Amaya is coming through. Coming whatever through. the other thing it's supposed to be, the, essentially the, the Electra done as a sedan, as an electric sedan. As much as I do want to drive the Electra, it does feel like sacrilege to me, the Elise owner. However, I will say this. Wouldn't it be cool if Lotus, and I hope they think about this, because, of course, they're talking about the Amira being the, their last internal combustion car. What if it wasn't? Why, mm -hmm. why not change that? Why mm -hmm. not keep that line of cars going? The mid-engine, uh, almost supercar, quasi-exotic, that's almost affordable for the everyman. Keep that going for the next 20, 30, 50 years, where you keep updating and offering the new version of that line of thinking while you're over here also making the electric SUV for everybody else. Wouldn't it be cool? Because I guess Lotus is I guess, showing me that right now in two models, the Electra and the Amira. Can we see that across the board? How cool would that be? I mean, I'm seeing Ferrari hybrid sales overtake traditional models. I'm seeing that headlines mm -hmm. in Financial Times here. And they want to offer something for people to choose. Sure. Don't buy the SF90 because it breaks. Every time I see an SF90, it's another broken down SF90. They we, need to get it right. We've heard about so many people with broken SF90s. It's crazy it's to the say. the most expensive. Yeah, it's 1,000 horsepower. Great. Get it right. All these even high-end, super high-end brands, mm. they are open to this and they're offering a variety. But mm. Purosang sales with a V12 engine are coming up fast for sure. Ferrari. <laughs> There's still You're a market right. there. You're right. Absolutely. There's still... And, and you don't have to divide it. It doesn't have to be us versus them. Purists versus people mm. into the future and mm. early adopters. It doesn't have to be that way. You can have a, a variety of things that meet different needs, I feel like. I think that's going to be a smarter business model for automakers because regulations and politicians are such uncharted territory and will be for a long time. And things keep changing. We're seeing that in the news right now about automakers going, huh, EVs are stacking up. What do we do? We already talked about that on this mm -hmm. podcast. So yeah. it's very interesting how, how volatile it remains right now. 
Rob, thank you for the question. We could talk for hours on this. It's fascinating and it's always interesting to see current headlines kind of match what we're all thinking in the backs of our minds going, okay, I'm seeing a lot of articles about mining and alternative fuels are coming up and it's really fascinating to see, but it's ever going to be changing. We really appreciate the question. If you've got a topic Tuesday like Rob's, write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Connor P is in Seattle asking for a car that's fun to drive or good to live. Hmm. How do you strike the balance between the two with just one car? Connor, thanks for writing. He's in his mid-20s living up in Seattle, and he's looking to finally retire his 2016 Ford Focus hatchback titanium that he's been driving since new. Cool, retire? Right. That's got plenty of life left, does it not? Well, but he does want to move on. He said it was his first car. He's loved it, but he's looking for something with more power, more space. He said ideally something where people with in the back seats can actually have legs. More safety, more technology. I mean, that that's the order of importance. But the reality is we're talking about a car from 2016. And while I'm sure it still has life left, a lot of stuff has changed since then. Connor is torn on how to strike a balance between getting a fun car that he can live with but might be somewhat compromised or a car that he can definitely live with that will hopefully be fun Sometimes. Mm, this, I mean, this is the core of what we talk Sigh. about. Including the trade-in on the current car, he's got a budget of up to $45,000 before taxes, registration, and other expenses. He does not have the space for two cars, and he's not likely to anytime soon. While he wishes he did know how to drive manual, he's not at a point in his life where he's looking to learn in his daily driver, so automatic is unfortunately the only option. Okay. Option A, his fun car pick. His taste leans towards sports sedans for usable fun, but his budget doesn't get him incredibly far in this segment because of his preference for buying new. Okay. With that in mind, his current top pick is he's completely obsessed with what was selected after watching our comparison video with the Civic Type R, and that is the Hyundai Elantra N. Which comes in a DCT. It's a spectacular car. It's Connor. a very fun car. He said he's actually looking for the refresh that it, that I think finally makes the front end work. He said he actually didn't <laughs> bu doesn't mind the current styling. I don't mind, but it he does like the upcoming styling more. So he's looking at the 2024 model with that updated styling that they've shown, which I think is like, oh, thank you, I can breathe again. <laughs> anyway, he's getting bad feedback oh, on that one. Quick yeah, band aid designers, I'm go to so work. I'm so glad. Anyway, but it, that car really excites him like nothing else right now. But he's worried about okay, is it going to be the right choice or would he be compromising himself in other ways too much? He said one of the w ways is he's always felt like he needs all-wheel drive and of course it's front-wheel drive. You don't, I mean, you're in Seattle. Do you need all-wheel, need all-wheel drive? Need? <laughs> I mean, want, would like to have, mm -hmm. think it would be cool, but need? You've got a Ford Focus right now. Clearly you've been fine. Sorry, side rant. It's true. He says the sports sedan market, especially all-wheel drive, feels pretty thin at the sub-$50,000 level. Mm. And as we mentioned, he doesn't have the space to keep an extra set of tires and therefore doesn't think swapping his tires twice a year with the seasons is a viable option. Because of Seattle's long, wet months, whatever he ends up buying is going to go on all-season tires that are never coming off. Connor, mm. I'm going to stop you right there. Everybody's conditioned themselves to thinking all seasons is what they that tire lives up to. Mm. But all weather tires have been around for 20 years now. And you want to look for the Triple Mountain Peak and specifically from our sponsor, Vredestein. The Quattrack Pros, they're not just all weather tires because you think you're going to compromise on performance. And it's hard to find something that is still all weather, but still ultra high performance. Mm -hmm. That is what the Quattrack Pro does. Yeah. Because you can get all-weather tires that will be fine. Yeah, sure. And the sure, sure. mileage limits will still be very high. The mm -hmm. treadwear life will still mm -hmm. be good. 
but you still want a lot of performance. So we highly recommend those. We've currently got them on the Prius. They are proving to be excellent. And Todd's going to give you that update with his Cayenne. Those are yeah, ultra sure. high performance, all weather tires. That's what you've got to get in your mind there because he doesn't realistically plan on tracking the car, he says. And that remains true for any other sports sedan that he would consider. Of course, there's the nagging thought of what are the few times he wants to have more space in his car? What if he has an Elantra in and he can see himself driving and owning it for the next decade? He's got a lot of doubts in here. <laughs> the big thing that I see here, Connor, is that based on what you're telling us about your lifestyle, I think the Elantra in is a great choice. I think the tire swap that Paul is talking about, yeah, you're leaving the, the Pilot uh, Sport 4Ss. You're getting something that is all-weather, that does everything you need. I think for your driving, if you get one that is, a, it, to Paul's point, like the Quattrack Pro that is high-performance and all-weather, then you're not, in your driving, going to feel like you sacrificed much. Mm -hmm. If you told me, I do a lot of canyon driving, I'm going to go to the track, you'd notice a difference versus a high-performance, fully-focused tire. Absolutely, yes. But that's not your lifestyle. And I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy that car on those situations. And if you have a situation, like you say, a couple times a year that you need a bit more space, you rent something. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. We, we keep trying rent an to, expedition. We huge. keep trying to buy cars for the the worst case scenario that happens twice a year. You know what? <laughs> worst case scenarios are called that for a reason. I never imagined that my area would flood this bad or snow this bad. Stay home. For the, for the 24 hours sure. that it's that bad? Or, you know, I have to take 10 people. I only have this rent something. I mean, not always possible, but I take your point. Option B, Connor says, anything that's more usable but not a snooze to drive. Mm. So giving into the compromises, getting an all-wheel drive, smaller SUV, or larger sedan that still has decent amount of kick, he won't feel as bad putting all seasons on. Yeah, look for all weathers. The problem is, in this world, he hasn't found anything that excites him like the Elantra in. I'm not surprised. He says a friend of his has a 2021 Mazda CX-5 Turbo. Now, we actually really like that. He said they love it. He liked it. Another friend of his recently got a 2021 Polestar 2, and he said that was surprisingly cool to drive, but his life doesn't work with an electric car. What about uh, used Audi Q3 or what about a BMW type? Or he even looked at used Mustang Mach-E's are in his price range, even though you've just said that an electric would be a little hard for you. The Sonata all-wheel drive, the Le you're getting the Lexus, you're getting talking about the Hyundai Ioniq. You keep coming back to EV SUVs. I think that's kind of funny. I don't think you need it. If you really like the Elantra N, I think most of your life is going to be accomplished with the Elantra N. So I don't understand why you're really looking seriously at an SUV. If you if you were telling us that you're regularly trying to take three other people, that's a different conversation. You want the option, but you don't have the daily need. That's true. You're going to be driving this car, you, all the time. Why don't we get you in something fun that can kind of do the other stuff? I always feel like that's the better way to go. With that Polestar 2, Connor, you said it was surprisingly exhilarating. I what does that mean to you? Does that mean just the shiftless thrust of power? Mm -hmm. Wow, there's no transmission shifts. There's no pause in my acceleration for short bursts. But now most people that I found driving EVs around, they're kind of the slowest ones on the road because they're looking at their range still. <laughs> or their phone. Sorry, separate problem. Although I did see uh, it was a Ram truck and he didn't realize he was next to an F-150 Lightning this was last night. Oh, no. He thought it was just somebody else with a pickup truck, and he uh -huh. was going to show him a thing or two, uh -oh. and the lightning no. chirped off the line. Of course it did. And showed the taillights to the ram. Absolutely. 50 yards up the road, and I went, buddy, no, don't <laughs> don't take the bait. You took the bait. 
The lightning just schooled the ram, and the, he didn't know what he was up against. The Chevy Bolt next to you would have taken your lunch. So yeah, funny. for sure. Yeah, because he was, you know, he had a loud exhaust, and he was making it known that he was the big dog on the mm-hmm. road. And the lightning was perfectly stock. So to people yeah. who don't really know, it just looks like a basic pickup truck. Yeah. And it smoked him. And then he did. chased it up the road and the EV owner was having none of it. <laughs> having none of it. He kept ahead of him. Of course he did. It was pretty entertaining to watch. I mean, that's on them. I was just, I was observing. All right, Connor, what uh, what are we going to get, Connor? Well, 45 grand here. Look, Connor, I'm going to to continue to really encourage you with the Elantra and I think it you like it that much it excites you that much get the car that excites you it comes back to that thing that Paul often brings up and that is when we're reading an email somebody's like well I've always wanted one of these but I'm considering one of these cars over here that's not one of that but here's on, my whoa. list of all this other stuff that exactly. doesn't work for me now you you want Elantra and you like an Elantra and you're curious about the new styling it comes in the DCT I think it does everything you need I'm not going to shy you away from that I'm going to give you a couple of options in case you want to look around a bit and that is 45 grand, GR Corolla. Now, it's a manual. Oh, it's a manual, yeah. That's the problem. But GR Corolla really interests me for you. If you are actually looking at something that you want the hatch shape and you want a little more stay than the Elantra in, don't get the CX-5, which we do like. If you want to look at Mazda products, look at the Mazda 3 Turbo. But I still don't think that's fun enough. It's fun. I don't think it's fun enough. What about a used Macan or a... AMG GLA 45. Now, That's you've said you cool. lean new, and I, I yeah. do hear that, but I'm just thinking if you if you really are going to cave and you're going to get the little bit more staid quasi-SUV, used Macan or Mercedes GLA AMG 45, I think you will be so much happier than any SUV you'd climb into because it's going to have all the fun for you and then the usability you kind of feel like you need. And I'm not still not clear on why you think you need that, but Elantra in on the right tires in all weather, I would drive that car all the time and cackle. I mean, he's saying one car for likely the next decade. You're buying with a real long-term mindset. You are. And maybe are. that's why you're looking at more maybe. space in the back seat, even though you don't have that need right now. But that can be solved. I'd almost say enjoy something that you can really get the most out of now mm-hmm. because you don't have that need now. You're you're looking yeah. so long-term yeah. that it's compromising today well and that is the thing you you bring up a great point there because you are you're looking with it with a 10-year view and i am going to bring it up connor you've had one car so far in your life now early on in my life i was the same way every car i had i was going to have till it literally could not be revived anymore but (laughs) connor there is a realization here and that is you could keep a car for six months i mean i'm not recommending it but you can it's much easier than swapping houses and a lot of other things in life. Spouses, don't I mean, don't do that. My point is, you could get a car and keep it for a few months and be like, this isn't for me. Don't suffer for the next few years because I made this decision. I don't want to stay here. Cars can be resold. New, <laughs> new loans can be found. Yeah, also, yeah. I hate to say this, but if you're going to go get a loan for a car right now, Yikes, the APR it's, is terrifying. You're going to want to get out of that in the next 10 years because the APRs are going to swap again. <laughs> Things are rough. So I appreciate that you're looking at the next car for 10 years, but I also want you to leave the door open for it to be five or three because life ah. changes. I mean, I know you've got a good budget, Connor, but I'm going to start with my wild card of a GR86 and pay less. Mm. We loved that GR86 mm. on winters. 
We did. It was so good in the winter. It's got a low center of gravity. And you're in Seattle. I have been there. My family lives in Seattle. I've been there when it snows. I saw SUVs and pickup trucks on their roofs two winters ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was last winter. In one section, there's some hilly areas to the northwest. Mm -hmm. People just don't realize the traction is gone. You Mm -hmm. cannot count on that. And it's just for a two or three week window. But suddenly, tires really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We liked it so much that I could see you rocking a GR86 and paying less and enjoying it. And then you never know when your life situation mm. will change because you've been saving for, let's say you get married. Let's say you have a family. Let's sure, say sure, sure. you do need to start carrying and transporting more people. Let's say your commute changes. You still have the GR86 as a fun car over here yeah. that you've been driving and enjoying. And then you do put really great high-performance tires on that thing. Boom, you've got your track car, and then you buy something else. <laughs> well, still, I'm just, if, yeah, I get if you. we're I thinking long term, you're right. Let's Who knows really what'll think long term. That's good, yeah. And buy for now, knowing that, well, everybody's life situation is probably going to change. Mm-hmm. And you can get that commute vehicle, you can get that larger SUV or four door sedan, keep the GR86. Let's say your living situation changes, and you do have the space mm. now for both a second vehicle and tires. Well, that's kind of exciting, but we we can't see in a crystal ball. We don't know Mm -hmm, when that'll happen. mm -hmm. Now, I love your Elantra N, and what technology has done for enthusiasts is the ability to change the suspension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The commute in comfort and the sport for canyon and track driving. And the N program from Mm. Hyundai is specifically track-tuned. They took the cars on the track and did race car things with those cars. So it's not like, well, it's just a compromised, gussied up little right. front wheel drive You're car right. over here. It's a spectacular world-class sports car that has two extra doors behind the front passenger seat. That's excellent. Have you seen the seats in the Elantra N? Yeah. They're fantastic. They're full-on buckets. They're and race buckets. The Elantra N seats are narrower so they actually have a little bit more rear seat space than the standard lesser Elantras. What other Front-wheel drive, four-door sedan, can you think of that has a red-painted cross brace between the rear shock towers? Yes. You open the trunk, you think, it's got the pass-through. Ah, that's kind of compromised. <laughs> it's actually a race car, You'll isn't be able it? to it's, store uh, most things, but yes. It's uh-huh. more focused on racing than carrying stuff. Mm-hmm. We loved the Acura Integra Type S. It is a manual transmission. It is, yes. 50 grand, that's such a right balance. You would like that. Car, I also yeah. toyed with some kind of BMW. And if we're going long term, do you like the styling of the new BMW M2? Because you could get it with the DCT. And when you're in it, you don't have to look at it. And <laughs> I, you know what I admit? I admit publicly, it's okay. kind of grown on me a tiny bit. Has it really? The new M2, yeah. A tiny I, bit. It's kind of just slightly, I'm admitting that with much chagrin, but you know. We're allowed one mistake a day. I am, I am staying away from it. It just, it's, I can't it's make it It's interesting. It's quite me. purposeful. You will be shocked by how fast and mm. that car, it's comfortable when you need it to be. Yeah. And it is truly a track machine. If you want to stay under 45, you could look at prior generations of the M2. They're not really a commute car, but you could turn them into that and you've still got backseat space. You could use it like a car. Yeah. That, it's that, special. That's good. The prior M2 would be a great choice that I think in spite of being two doors, you would be amazed at how usable that car is. While still looking, I'm putting it out there, better looking than the current one. And surprisingly fun. And I also think you'd have more space and enjoy it much more than your focus, without question. I mean, the thought crossed my mind. I saw it again in our photos, and I saw that M2 again, and Mm. I just thought, 
what if I had one? Wait, wait, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. But what if I had no, one? No, can't, can't do it. Was it was kind Cannot of an interesting thought. I hope BMW continues their M program and continues to focus on lightweighting their things mm. and making them awesome mm. because we came away liking that car to drive more than we thought. I think mm. you could admit that as well. Oh, it drove very, very well. It was yes. surprising. It was going are you kidding yeah. me? Well, and, okay, it's BMW. All right, mm-hmm. BMW, fantastic. And, you know, the $7,000 carbon buckets, I was like, why are we? Oh, wait, these are good. <laughs> oh, wait, these are amazing. They were amazing. And then I saw Just... the price tag. It really had like a personal crisis because the seats were great. <laughs> but I was like, this makes no sense at you all. You can buy a Golf the, for the, what these seats the, cost. The, the, pro- the problem is, sorry, separate rant. Don't debate whether or not you should get the seats while sitting in said seats. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the bad. thing you can't do. Is that like grocery you, shopping when you're hungry? Yes. It's you the exact same kind of thing. Do stupid Seriously, things. Seriously, if you're sitting in those amazing <laughs> seats or you have just driven a canyon road in those amazing seats and you see that ridiculous price tag for the seats, you're going to be like, yeah, okay. Sure, carbon package for 24 no, grand? shouldn't do that. Or however, it was 10 grand, right? And 24 pounds it, lighter. I think it was 10 grand. It was 10 grand yeah, for, the for all the carbon fiber stuff. Ooh. It was just horrific, yeah. That is a lot. Happy hunting, Connor. We really appreciate your email. <laughs> and you've got some drive homework. You've got some consideration to do. Have you driven the Elantra in yet? Because mm. if you haven't, that's step one. Yeah. Good questions as always, guys. Thank you so much. I'm going to start here with Brad Davis, who's asking about our friends at PowerStop. He says he has PowerStop brakes on his 2007 Mustang. He has PowerStop brakes on his 2017 Fusion Sport. But would they be better than stock brakes on his 2009 Cayman? Better? Now, Porsche does very good brakes. I think they would be equivalent and I think if you went to track pads, they would probably be better. We put the track pads on our GR86 and were shocked at how good they were, how rarely they squeaked in all conditions. We just left them on, mm-hmm. which was great. So you might want to consider that. I don't know how you use your 2009 Cayman. Obviously, track pads in general are designed to have a more, lot more heat through them, even though we were surprised at them in all conditions on the GR86. Your usage would come in here, but I am thrilled you're using them so much because we've got them on just about everything, and we like them on all of it. On Instagram, Nick Lancey is asking again. We didn't get to his question yet. Nick, my apologies. He's asking, what are some best practices for washing your car in the winter? Mm. Typically turns off the water to the outside of the house in winter, but doesn't want all that salt and grime from the road to hurt the car. The answer is the spray car washes. And yes, whenever you're driving your sports car, any car, especially in the thick of winter, it gets grimy from all all the muck on the road. So the spray car washes do a decent job of getting much of it off. You're talking about the non-brush ones. The non-scratchy brush. The spray tunnels. Just the spray tunnel only. It It gets most of it off, Mm -hmm. but it does still leave a thin layer of visible grime on there that once you get back to your garage, you can take out the Griot's waterless car wash, Mm. or you can simply use Speed Shine and give it the wipe down to get it Mm. back to, because Speed Shine has waxes in it too. It's great for maintenance. So you can get it after you've done the spray Mm. with Mm. most of it off. That way you can, yeah, leave the water off on the outside of the house. You're not out there with power washer in the middle of winter when it's snowing and it instantly turns to ice. You don't want that. But what I like about those spray tunnels only is the drying at the end. It blasts all the water off. Sure, yeah, yeah. Then you can get home and wipe it down and that is your solve. On Facebook, Aaron G. is asking about high-mileage cars. I really like this one. This is good. Is he sick in the head? (laughs) Well, I don't know, Aaron. That may be a question to ask people that love you. Yes. Aaron G. Yes, we we all are. (laughs) He's got this weird obsession with high-mileage cars. Not just that he's not afraid of them, but he actually enjoys buying them and also pushing cars into the 200,000-mile-plus range. Mm, I love it. 
Meanwhile, most people consider anything over 100,000 miles to be old and worn out. He thinks some people just love any hunk of junk, but let him draw the line at a well-maintained car versus a not-at-all-maintained car. Sure. There's a stark difference. You're right. It's the maintenance, not the miles. Yeah, if you buy a 100,000-mile car that the person has been meticulous with and you take it to 200,000, that car's probably going to do really well if you keep maintaining it like they did. Yeah, for sure. Aaron says, why might it be that he loves high-mileage cars and telling the stories of the places and trips it's been on? Is it the characters that he meets who have countless stories about their their high-mileage cars too? Or is it the core belief that anyone can have a new car that's shiny, but what about an old car that's shiny? Mm, For context, he does live in Wisconsin, and rust eats everything. He (laughs) is aware of that. This is fascinating. We never Mm. talk about focusing on high-mileage cars, and when we make recommendations, Aaron, we sometimes stay in... 60 to 80,000 mile range for use. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends mm-hmm. because if you're considering 30 to 40,000 miles, even 10 to 20, you still new might still be an option for mm-hmm. you, but something that is a lot older, it's not daunting because of the mileage. People look at that because of all the money you're going to be pouring into mm-hmm. the maintenance. And clearly you're not afraid of that. And that's excellent. And if you do keep old cars maintained and running, yes, Absolutely. I maintain the 928 wasn't worth junking. It was mm-hmm. just over 100,000 miles. I don't know now because the odometer doesn't work. <laughs> Hasn't worked for a while. Add to the list. Oh, wait, it's Seriously, already on the list. Seriously, the gears yeah. are made out of like ear cartilage. They're just <laughs> flappy and rubbery and they don't connect. engage. The teeth don't stop, engage. Then they stop engaging, then they give up again. It was, it was a problem. With, uh, with that era of Porsche. But still, I like that you're interested in keeping these cars running, but to get your money back at them, to sell them, you're going to have to go the extra mile. You're going to have to go the extra money mile mm. to put the money in to say, you know what? All right, it, it doesn't really matter. Now, there is something that is part of our recent discussion, and that is Cayennes. The Cayennes that Todd has, the mm. original Cayenne, it's a 2010, correct? Yes. Those are getting a lot of love, and we saw them get a lot of love at SEMA with builds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's interesting because these builds are now on Cayennes that have mm-hmm. a lot of miles on them, and nobody seems to care. Mm-hmm. When the car reaches the status of it turns into something else or it becomes popular because of... Yeah, that's a good mile, point. Mileage goes right out of the window. It's a great point. You see a 220,000-mile Cayenne, but it's been stuff has been done to it, which means... The mechanicals have probably been maintained. They're mm-hmm. not just screwing wheels and brush guards to it. They've probably maintained that and done the necessary. Even if there's big, monstrous, you know what, this is an issue with these cars. you got to sure, pay a lot yeah. of money to get this done. But once you do, they're still running, and they were engineered from the very beginning to be off-road machines. Yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. people are gravitating towards that generation of Cayenne. Yep. That was whole, Porsche's whole headspace. And you and I were joking, like, later on, that's not what people were buying them for. Porsche was like, if we're going to do an off-roader, it better be able to do everything you could ever imagine. Yes. We've got to shoot for Land Rover. It's got to have locking diffs. It's got to yes. be serious and hardcore. And then everybody, everybody bought them. And nobody really did that with them. And Porsche went, oh, you don't need all that stuff? We'll, we'll, we'll just make them really fast. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. Okay, good. Everybody still wins. But those were envisioned from the very beginning what people are finally doing 15, 20 years later. Isn't that funny? It yeah. took that long. Now, this is not true with all cars and probably the ones that you're into, a few hundred thousand miles. What this means, Aaron, is you're finding deals. You're just getting deals mm-hmm. and you're willing to absorb any hits. Okay, I didn't think that had, I, or I thought some major surface had been done and it hadn't. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take on that, that headache or that bill. But there's some certainly deals to be found. And if you're not afraid of it, 
I say, let's keep these cars running. And I mm-hmm. wonder with how beloved most of these mm-hmm. ice powered cars are, if we're going to be seeing more and more high mileage cars with maintenance done parts put back into it. And if the maintenance has been done and the car is running great, why should you be afraid of it? It's interesting. I also wonder as we get to this era of more and more 3d printing where older parts can break Mm-hmm. and people are going to be able to make a new part easier than they could have machined something in the past. Because this is the thing that's made mm-hmm. for the last few decades. This is the thing that's made some cars almost impossible to maintain because you cannot get that part anymore. So if you can't get that part anymore, then you're talking to a machine shop to make you a custom one-off of that part, and that can get exorbitant unless you just have an open checkbook but in a world of 3D yeah. printing, we may be getting back to, well, I could just re-3D print that in this. Oh, give me the old one. I'll scan it, and we'll fix this, and off you go. I mean, that's happening already. I'm wondering how that's going to affect this going forward. question that ties into this is from Chris Q, who doesn't know why, but suddenly feels like he's living the life that we lived when we were running the Fate and Maserati. <laughs> <laughs> Great and I'm sorry, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's because the 2003 Jaguar S-Type V8 that's sitting in his driveway which leads him to ask, how do you find a reliable mechanic for European cars? Mm. Maybe it's just his area, which we don't know, but the garages that work on those cars seem to be as quirky as the car itself. I think that's a prerequisite. I think yeah. it is. If you, yeah. are, if you are specialized in an older make and model, you, sir, are quirky. That the, all, all those people are quirky. Saab 900 turbos. Mm-hmm. I say go to forums. Mm-hmm. Chris, there's enthusiast forums for almost every make, model, and all, all the enthusiast cars. Yeah. You can yeah, find yeah. the forum on that, and you can dig into that. You can find your area, and maybe it's not too far. Maybe it's not quite close enough, but it might be worth it. And there's so many small shops with expertise, and I say these are going to be around for a long time, and I think we're going to see a proliferation mm. of these kind of shops to keep things going. Saab mechanics are still out there and Saab does not exist. <laughs> You're right. It's a great point. And you can still confidently buy a Saab and run it and yes. find a Saab mechanic and they will take care of it and keep the parts going. All keep- the people that are, are air-cooled Porsche mechanics, it's all they do. Yes. Okay, there has not been an air-cooled Porsche made since the late 1990s. They haven't made one since then. There are people whose Long entire time. business is just doing that. It's astounding to me. I hope it honestly, I hope it never stops, but it amazes me that it exists at all. I mean, I'm not saying they're as niche as like bratrepair.com or that that I wonder if that's brats a website only. You should buy. Like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Don't bring us any other Subaru because we won't work on it. Only brats. Could they exist as a business? I'm not sure. BratRepair.com is actually available, Paul, if you'd like to get it. BratRepair.com. I don't know what you're going to do with it. Do I want that URL or do I not want that URL? (laughs) I don't know what that actually points to, but it makes me laugh for sure. (laughs) Thomas D. has a question here about Mm. raw footage, importing raw footage to exporting the final cut. How long does it take to edit a test drive versus a TV episode versus something like a feature-length film? Wow, Thomas, I did see this question. Thank you for this. I'm going to give you broad strokes here because it depends on the editor among us. It depends on uh, what our other schedules are that are getting us distracted. Like if you have a week of focused edit time, I feel like you always get more done than well, I'm going to edit today, I'm going to shoot tomorrow, and then you know we got that call on the next day. How much and then... 900 turbos cost these days? <laughs> exactly. So to, you know, how, what are you getting distracted or pulled away from? But I'm going to give you some broad strokes here. A test drive... 10 to 12 hours from uploading footage 
to I'm about to make an output, 10 to 12 hours worth of focus post-production time. Now, that includes not just upload, but the A-roll and B-roll edits. The A-roll is just us talking. The B-roll is the fancy footage over it. That includes the mix, the color, the output, the thumbnail. And authoring itself is still quite a lot of steps. That all takes time. Uh, You take one of our... Now, think about this. A test drive for us is typically 18 to 22 minutes. Very often, our big pieces or big comparisons for two cars are 25 minutes or so. So similar in length, but they may have three or four times the shots. Think about it in that term. The more shots you have, the more time it took you to edit it, to mix it, to color it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Broad strokes here. Our typical test drive has between 200 and 250 shots. Our typical 25-minute two-car comparison has 400 to 500 shots. So nearly double the amount of shots. So that just took longer to edit. I'm going to say your typical TV episode 25 minutes or so is 30 to 40 hours worth of post-production work. And then a feature film, start adding up those half hours. You know, if you've got a 90-minute feature film, add up those 30 to 40 hours. Is that 90? Is that 100? Now, there's places we find efficiencies, but these are the broad strokes. It's a lot. And I will add, Todd is a storyteller at heart. From writing to editing, he wants to find the pieces that tell the story. And there's checkers that come out. So you'll send out the checkers mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. us, the checker piece. And and meaning, you know, we're watching it through. What are mm-hmm. you finding? It For me, you know, all the little things will be cleaned up. The bobbles, the footage yeah, sure. isn't quite matched up. Audio is not great. The mix is, you know, the soundtrack is, it's is a disaster. too loud. Thing, you know, <laughs> I can't it's hear a half rough of cut, that. But is the storyline? Is there a through line here? Mm-hmm. Are you seeing mm-hmm. the jumps? Are if, if you watch this and sit down and pay attention to the work that we're making, does it make sense? Is there a story mm-hmm. there? What are we telling? What is our takeaway on everything? And what is that feeling you're left with in the end? That's what I love about your long edits, your storytelling, it. and I, I love that you enjoy it. Well, I do enjoy it, and I and that's the thing I love so much about doing our big road trips is because it's just find the story. I mean, that's we, what you tell me. Up, you're finding the story. I'm, I'm knee deep. I've been sitting and staring this too long. Yeah. Watch this rough cut and tell yeah. me if I'm off base. Yeah, I mean, we end up with some fun car review moments that happen during those road trips. But what I like about it is just the story of come along with us. See what we discovered. Let, let's tell the story of this adventure. That That's so much fun. And then here's a phone recording that is texted to us late at night. Like, here's all the idiot things we say that will never be seen by anybody. Well, we're trying, we're trying <laughs> to get those out there a little bit more. But yes, that still happens. <laughs> Guys, thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us with all your car conclusions and your Topic Tuesdays. And most importantly, your car debates. Everyday Driver TV at gmail.com. We're looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone.